much, Demetrius, for joining us today on this episode of The Failure Report. I am so glad that you are here. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being here. So, I've been following your career for a few years now. We met through a mutual friend, and who's also your attorney, who I absolutely adore. And I just got to know a little bit about who you are, how you started, what your culture is like in your business. But seeing your rise, I know that there's been some F-ups. So, I would like to start by asking, when did you know that you'd F'd up in business? Wow. Big question. Um, yeah, very big question. And, and normally folks give me these questions in advance. Yeah. I did not get any of these nope. in advance. So um, when did I know I first stepped up? I think it was actually my first company. I had a roofing company. Mm-hmm. I'd been in the business. I'd gotten an accounting degree and was in the construction business and went and worked my first major hailstorm on my own. Oh. Right. Wow. Columbia, South Carolina, it was. I had hired all these people and had borrowed about $50,000 from a friend. Mm-hmm. And, you got uh, some good friends. Oh, yeah. You know, like everything <laughs> you need is close by. And it just didn't work. Yeah. The thing that I had seen my predecessor and mentor do time and again, I guess I just didn't feel like I had the magic. Mm. Right? And looked around and the 50000 was gone and supplier bills were at 150000 and had employees who were stealing and, you know, all this other sort of stuff. And frankly, the remnants of that lasted for almost 10 years following. Yeah, that was the first time I sort of got the taste of failure yeah, in yeah. the back of the throat. That, right? That's where it lingers. <laughs> yeah, you know, it doesn't, you can't ever get it quite out of the back yeah, of the throat. Yeah, I still taste it a little bit. Oh my gosh. And so whenever you realized, like, this isn't going well. What was the moment that you said, was it the money running out? Was it finding out the employees were stealing? What happened? I think most businesses that you look at, you have this moment where you realize that it's actually just not working, Mm -hmm. right? Like Mm -hmm. to your earlier point, it's sort of like you have this sort of moment of like, okay, I'm making it work. I'm doing the thing. I'm out here. I'm getting contracts signed. I'm doing all the things. And then you're like, okay, this is not... It's not working. It's just not working. Like, there's no money in the bank and nothing more clear than, like, the bank account being at zero Mm -hmm. or this sort of proverbial feeling of, like, money always leaving, Mm -hmm. right? Like, part of what gave me a sense of failure was this sort of idea that I wasn't keeping anything. Hmm. I wasn't, I got an accounting degree. I know, I'm a balance sheet yeah, guy. I know dollars yeah. and cents. Right? I know dollars and cents. Yeah. I know how to count. Like, I'm supposed to be keeping some of this. Mm-hmm. And it felt like it was always going. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so you was like, okay, this feels like failure. Yeah. Right? And it was the moment that I had spent six months living in Columbia and going home, coming back to Louisville. And I was commuting back and forth mm-hmm. between Columbia and Louisville. And coming back home that winter with nothing. And my wife asking the question, so how'd it go? How'd it go? And uh, nothing like staring failure in the face when I thought we were doing a really great job. Because I was giving her the same thing I was giving everybody else. Like, oh, it's going great. Like, we're winning. We're killing it. And that Mm -hmm. wasn't really the case. We were sucking. Yeah, we were sucking. (laughs) And, you know, you you do feel like it's going to turn around. There's this hope, I feel, that... As an entrepreneur that you feel like today was bad 
or this situation sucked. But if I can just get on the other side of this, this will happen and these things will align and I'm gonna meet that great person. And then there is a point where you say, I gotta go home. The dollars ain't making sense. And I've just, I realized that this is complete, you know, I've hit a complete wall. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like, especially when you're somewhat smart, Hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It's funny how the world sometimes preys on the most capable. So in some ways, your ingenuity and your stick with itness Mm -hmm. and all of those things actually end up working to your disadvantage Mm -hmm. because you are this force of nature. You're going to push rocks up hills. Mm -hmm. You are going Mm -hmm. to climb to the top of the rope. You're just that person. And in some ways, this arsenal of people that you amass in any company they typically aren't that person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so if you're not careful, and and this is certainly true for me, that sort of stick with itness was preyed upon Mm. instead of this knowing when to call it. So I don't know if that's a, is that a Johnny Cash, know when to hold him, know when to hold him? Yeah, that's him. Yeah, I think it's like, he was right. He was right. No like, when to walk away. Yeah. No when to run. <laughs> Listen, should have ran. Should have ran a yeah. long time ago. A long time ago. My mind just took a lap around the whole building when you just said that. Because, <laughs> you know, you know how when you're in church, people take off running. Oh, That's what yeah. my mind just did. Because you're so right. It is when you think that you're so capable of figuring it out. And if I just stick to it. And I preach that consistency is the key to success. There's a formula to success and its consistency and all of these other pieces that create this successful scenario. But sometimes consistency cannot work in your favor and it can actually bite you in the, in the behind. And is that what you're saying? That truly I was trying to do all these things and I was pushing this proverbial rock up the hill, but I wasn't actually getting anywhere. I was just gathering dirt underneath it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really this sort of idea that like sometimes you just don't have what you need. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And as my career went on, I started to realize that if I was going to actually when it was going to be because I started with everything I needed, mm-hmm. right? As yeah. opposed to, like, I remember, I actually remember doing the pro formas for that company and thinking, oh, I really need $125,000. Mm-hmm. Not 50. Not 50, mm-hmm. but I could only raise 50. Yeah. And so I went and did it anyway, <laughs> right? Yeah. Now, in hindsight, you're like, now, I knew them performers were right. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. you did the thing that you know you needed to do. You put the right budget together. Yeah. And the funding wasn't there. But you, in your mind, I'm capable. I'm capable. And so you really started from a position of a deficit. Mm-hmm. And so if I really was looking at that failure, I would have said, oh, okay. I had actually failed when, when I started. You were pre-failure. Yeah, I was pre-failure. <laughs> yeah. I was under a sort of delusion. Yeah. Ooh. Right? Like around like, oh, I think I can win this thing. No, you really can't win. And your numbers told you that from the beginning. And so. That's really yeah, interesting. That sucked. Yeah. You have the upper hand when it comes to business because you do have the number side of the creativity that it takes to start a business. Most individuals go out here like, I got a dream. I'm going to start a cloud company wait, this isn't not about because you do weather. There's a cloud in the corner, y'all. I just need you to see that I pulled it from out the sky, right? But I'm going to create this and it's going to be fantastic. And they have the vision behind, the idea behind it, but they don't actually have the hard numbers that actually make it, again, make sense. But you know, you, you said something that's so important that you had to come home and you had to do a reevaluation. That's the part that a lot of people don't do because I happen to know how your story goes and it didn't end there. So what happened when you came home and you had to tell your wife, you know what? I thought this was going to work out. It actually didn't. What did you do next? You know, I I think the whole thing is like, 
I always prided myself on being like having the ability to sort of take a step out of myself and look at the situation. Mm. And so I, I think, what did I, what did I do? I think I just went home and sulked for a little while, truthfully. I have had these periods in my career after failures where there's been a bit of a break, 30 days, three months, even after I've sold companies where it's been like, okay, I got a little time to rest and relax. Maybe I'll retire, you know, yeah. not every time, but like most recently we've had the opportunity to choose. And so I just really sort of sat around and gave it a go again. Mm-hmm. And so licked my wounds and went back out there and said, okay, in this instance, it created another scenario in which I said, ah, I guess I'll do it all myself, hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because some of those traumas of failure end up breeding these like sort of bad heuristics around like and principles around like what you think about other people. And so then I was like, okay, I'm going to do it all myself, yeah. right? So I'm can't out. Can't trust anyone. Can't trust nobody. Nobody. I got my truck. I'm going. Yeah. Right? And so I worked a, a hailstorm in Owensboro, Kentucky. But it was there that I realized really quickly that, like, I wasn't cut out for that. That's not really what I was tasked to do. And just had a light bulb go off. And I was like, hey, it'd be great if this were easier on me. Wouldn't it be great if all these people who have hail claims knew that they had hail claims and they could file an insurance claim digitally? Hmm. And so I started working on that. Yeah. Right? And my company, WeatherCheck, was born out of that. That's amazing. That's amazing. I love that I did come up with that cloud scenario. That was pretty genius. (laughs) But at the same time, and I said this earlier, most of us just have ideas. We have dreams. Wouldn't it be great if this was simpler or people could do this, but they don't have the back of how much is it going to cost? What is my performance actually going to look like? What is my one year, my two year, my 90 day, my 70 days, my 360 day? What does that look like? A lot of individuals don't have that. So when you started then to say, I'm going to build a new business, Where did you start? Was it that you started with the idea and got the idea down on paper, or did you start looking at the numbers because that's what was your downfall in in your previous life? Well, I think something to bear in mind is that I come from a family of entrepreneurs. My family was in the oil and gas business, and so the pattern and practice of ideating was ingrained in me from a kid, right? And so I was a talker, mm-hmm. right, as a kid. And my grandfather bought me this book called this, The Big Book of Why, mm. because I would ask, actually like ask why, why all the time. Why? And then my grandmother got this magnet that says, stop talking, I'm out of aspirin. <laughs> and it was like this sort of idea. And so what they told me to do is write everything down. And I remember early on, One of the first ideas I had was I lived in Michigan for a period of time, and I had this idea for roller skates that transformed into ice skates. Take the roller skates off, put the blade on, you got this sort of two-in-one thing. And I got a popular science magazine, and I boo-hooed because in the back someone had stolen my idea. Oh, man, yeah. And it was at that moment that my grandfather told me, he said, it actually means that you were right. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's validation. Yeah, Yeah. and so so a lot of times when I'm starting, I'm normally thinking about a place that is completely barren, desolate. I don't want any competitors normally, Mm -hmm. so I typically tend to do hard things. Mm -hmm. But I'm looking for an area where the market has extreme pain, and so that's where I tend to build companies. And so for me, that process is sometimes a two- or three-year process of ideation. 
right? So my wife will tell you that I have books and books and books and books and books of ideas that we keep. Mm -hmm. And I go back to those ideas. And my grandfather said, once the idea takes up an entire page, Hmm. you get to now tear that piece of paper out Hmm. of the notebook. Yeah. And once you tear that piece of paper out, that means that the basically you have enough thoughts mm-hmm. around, okay, what, what is this thing? Is it a real thing? If you keep coming back to it, you can't leave it alone. Mm-hmm. Those are the sort of ideas that you should pursue, hmm. right? Because there are certainly ideas in some of those books that are one sentence, yeah, right? Probably not good enough if I can only write one sentence about no. it, right? No, no. And so that's how WeatherCheck was born. That's how captain was born out of those sort of really nascent ideas. Nascent ideas. I love the fact that you sit with an idea for two years, two to three years, you said. Yeah. Because oftentimes we want to rush that part. I got an idea. I got an idea. It's a good one. I got something. You know what I mean? It's hot. And you want to rush to get it to market before someone else gets there. Because we do have this fear of flipping to the back of popular science and the idea already being there, right? That's As a business owner, I feel that same way. I'm always like, I have to get it out because it has. And so we rush. We rush the part that we could be good at. If we're not good at the numbers, well, gosh darn it, you got to be good at the ideation part of it, right? right? And so taking that time and really putting your heels into why is this a problem that needs a solution? How am I going to be the very best at offering the solution to the problem that's who? Who seeks? Who's the person that I'm selling it to? Is it individuals who have hail damage? Is it individuals? What if there's no hail in Maine? Well, then I'm not speaking to people in Maine. I'm speaking to people in Kansas. And so figuring those things out take time. And is that something that you would say has helped you be successful in business is that you take time with the idea or is it the books of ideas and getting them out of your head? What is it that you found that was your secret sauce? Yeah, I think most people would say that there's nothing left in my head most of the time. (laughs) I say just about whatever I'm thinking, which sometimes works to my benefit and other times doesn't. (laughs) I think it's really about letting it out in a way that people can actually then critique it. So for me, it's getting to a place of vulnerability where somebody can say, hey, that's a terrible idea. Why would you even think to do that? I had a huge argument with a good friend of mine around a company that I had shown some interest in. And he's like, that will never work. And he argued with me for 30 minutes about why it was such a bad idea. And eventually I had to acquiesce and say, you're right. You know what? You actually are right. This is a bad idea. And had I known what you just told me, I probably wouldn't have taken such a strong position. But but it's that sort of ability to sort of get vulnerable. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. And sort of let people into how you're thinking about a thing. Mm -hmm. Like these people who like want to push an NDA on you right away. It's like. Again, the worst. With a lawyer in the room. Bless your heart, Dana. You know, she gets picked on all the time. But if someone pushes another Indian in my face, listen, if it's yours, baby, it's yours. I listen. can't do it like you. I'm yeah. never going to be able to do it like you. And I, may, I more than likely don't want to. And so I understand you have to get to yeah. that space, right? But meanwhile, people will give you really great ideas and mm-hmm. people will do nothing with them. That's true. Right? Like you can know that there's a market right here. Mm-hmm. You can make $100 million right there. Yeah. Here's an idea for free from somebody who's built a $100 million company. And they will leave it, no, 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 I won't go over here and do this other thing. Okay, well. Go on. (laughs) Go on with your poor self. Yeah, (laughs) listen, (laughs) listen. As a multi-hyphenate entrepreneur, I was so tired of always feeling like I was behind, being late to every single meeting, and never really feeling like I was achieving any of my goals. 
So one day I sat down with two Sharpies and a piece of paper and I decided to create myself a schedule. I just needed something that was gonna help me to stay focused on my goals and to be able to plan my day. Fast forward to today, the Ambition Planner has been able to help thousands of women monotask their day, stay focused on their most ambitious goals, plan their time and organize their life in an undated planner, financially plan for the future, practice gratitude and self-care in the most inclusive planner in the market. Somehow, I thought I was alone in needing a planner that was able to do it all. But what I've created is honestly my best friend. I don't go anywhere without my ambition planner because I know I can stay focused. I can achieve my goals and I can achieve it all. And this planner helps me to be able to do that in just 90 days. So if you're interested in learning more about the Ambition Planner, please visit us at theambitionplanner.com or at the Ambition Planner on all social platforms. But it's so true because it is the idea of how much work does it take to actually build the $100 million idea. You're saying that I need to sit with the idea for three years. A lot of, I feel like social media, and I don't wanna just blame social media, our culture makes it seem like it happens faster than that. And it's easy to see the glitz, the glamour, and to buy into that much faster than it is to say, I worked on just the idea phase of this for three years. What made you, and I'm gonna call you very young, what made you at your very young age decide that I was going to do it right as opposed to fast? Or did you feel like I am doing it fast at three years? I do feel like I was doing it fast. And I can't say that I'm the get it right person Mm because I have gotten it very wrong, hence the failure. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I would say that like for me, it's more about I want to know that I have the answer. Mm -hmm. Why is it that this idea is better than the other one? Why is it that this opportunity is better than the next? I'm not the simple guy. I couldn't compete on the, I certainly wasn't an athlete or any of those sort of things. Like, I couldn't compete on the novel, simple idea, mm-hmm. right? The way in which, and just for me as an individual, people knew with me growing up that I was smart. Right. And so the way in which I compete is on smart things. Okay. Right. And so part of that lens is to say, okay, I need to take some time to think about this and understand why it's better, because it's never going to be something that is going to be so simple that everybody will be like, oh, I got that quickly. And there's a few people in the room who who work with me and they're like, yeah, no, it ain't it ain't never that simple. (laughs) (laughs) It's just not that simple. That is really interesting because we oftentimes shy away from the things that are hard. You know, whenever it's hard and it doesn't come quick and fast, it's not as appealing to the get rich, you know, and fast. And you like you, the analogy that you use with the hundred million dollar idea here. I have to understand your idea. I got to figure out how to package it. I got to brand it, make it have colors, make it talk back to the people that it needs. That's hard. Yeah. And so oftentimes we leave. You know, I've heard I'm gonna say her name. I can't think of her name right now. It just slipped my mind. Say that everyone has had a million dollar idea at least one time in their life, but we don't act on it. What made you say? Weather check was it. Mm. That was your million dollar idea. And what made you say, I know what, I'm going to run after this one? Mm. I think it was just like every business that I've created so far has been solving a problem that I had. Hmm. I don't tend to solve problems that I don't understand. And so in some ways, weather check worked because I understood, Mm -hmm. right? Like this level of thoughtfulness around the experience that we had had in the space made it work. And so I wasn't 
frankly, always clear. I thought there was a billion dollar opportunity there, but I wasn't always incredibly clear how it was going to come to fruition. Mm, okay. I just was sort of like, oh, this thing needs to exist. What I found out down the road was that I was naive, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And so it was all just an exercise in learning and sort of doing the thing I thought needed to exist. Yeah, that needed to exist. So then you take a step further in your career and then you have launched other companies. Why? WeatherTech was doing well. So you failed in these situations. You've done these things. What gave you the moxie to say, you know what, I can diversify this and do it again or do something else? Yeah, it's a great question. Mm -hmm. WeatherTech was doing okay, right? (laughs) We had raised about $3 million. And there's this moment, again, like where while I was smart, I was still human. And so the thing is, like, I was bringing my humanity to the job. I, I was bringing my whole self to work. Yeah. In some cases, I should have dealt with myself yeah. before Coming myself had got there. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. So, like, even in the people that I chose and the people that I picked, in hindsight, it was always from the view of I'm not good enough on my own. Mm. And so that created problems in those companies because... I picked the wrong people. Okay. I was always picking for my lack of confidence in what I had created or how I had ideated. Mm-hmm. I'm taking a lap mentally. Yeah. All right. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and so mm-hmm. that's where I think most of the failure came from in WeatherCheck. Now, on the surface, as you grow as an entrepreneur, you learn how to paint the headline and do all those wonderful things. and But fundamentally, WeatherCheck was a failure. Mm-hmm. It was a failure because we had picked the wrong team and we were naive about the market that we were serving. We started off with a premise that said, insurance companies will tell policyholders that they have valid insurance claims after Ooh. severe weather. Oh. Turns out that insurance <laughs> companies so aren't really all that interested in telling you that you should file a claim. Yeah. They're Ta-da! just not really <laughs> into that, that into it. Yeah. <laughs> like, That's funny. And so there's a, a obscure minority, USAA. Thank you for your allegiance to us. Amen. Um, and so, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it was just a challenging experience because I had just picked wrong. Yeah. My picker was broke. Your picker was broke. Yeah. But let's back up, because I want y'all to... Did y'all just hear him say he raised $3 billion with a B? No, million. I thought I heard billion. It but listen, $3 million uh, yeah. with an M? That's amazing yeah. to then have then backed up and said, I picked the wrong individuals. How do you lick your wounds from that? Because that now you have investors at the table. Now you have other people that are there that are saying, this should work because I've put my money here to say that yeah, you say it's going to work. They weren't real happy about, about that. About that, I could imagine. Um, yeah, I think it was sort of like, in some ways, if you have the right investors, they're explicit with you about when you should fold them, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And so add into the mix the already tough market environment, but on top of that, and by all estimations, the company was very successful. Kentucky's first Y Combinator company and like all these great things and frankly, a really great technology company. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, basically the investor said to me, hey, the pandemic has happened. You guys are losing business left and right. It's time for you guys to figure something else out. Mm -hmm. And so I think it was November of 2020 where I had to sort of you know, I was in my office at home, and I was like, okay, what am I going to do? And 
company was out of money. I mean, we might have had $100,000 left or something like that. And no employees. I had to let everybody go. And, and some of them had quit. They, they had quit me before I could quit there. Uh, but you were going to. Yeah, yeah, I was going to do it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so I just sort of took a month to think. Luckily, they were gracious enough to give me that time. And come January, I said, okay, here's what we need to do. What do I have? What do we got here? We got some technology. We got a few other things. And true to form, I called a good friend of mine and said, hey, here's what I want to do. How can we do it? You know, but I knew that I would probably need the technology at some point in time. And so I never in my career had made a commitment that I would never lose an investor's money. And I hadn't. Um, Even when the companies failed, I paid back the investor's principal in every company. And for me, it was just about, I never wanted the narrative out there to be Mm -hmm. that someone lost money with me. Yeah. And so it's never been true. Amen. Um, You're blessed because that's not always everybody's testimony. Yeah. And so in this instance, it was just sort of like, I was like, how do I pay back $3 million? So we devised a strategy for how we would pay back $3 million. And what was very clear was that there was only one thing in that business that worked. Mm -hmm. And it was when we started managing claims for policyholders. We did that at the very end, at the very last minute, right? We didn't have any more money left. And so I had gone back out to the market and tried to raise more money to do that thing. And everybody was like, you know, bump that noise. I ain't ain't with it. You know, and so, yeah, that's how it happened. It was just sort of like... Captain was born out of that in that moment. Mm -hmm. And frankly, our investors, we were very explicit with them about, hey, we're going to go build a fintech company on the back of what we've learned at WeatherCheck. And we're going to give you guys an opportunity to participate in the future. And we're going to rock and roll from there. And that's how we're going to pay you back. That's amazing. That's amazing. So you took those months to really create the idea of what Captain was going to look like, to be able to stand on your promise of not having to owe your investors or be indebted to them with their principal. And then you created a new business all during the pandemic. Yeah. Without having any employees. Yeah. And the whole world shut down. Oh, that sounds simple. That sounds really great. And so whenever you decided to start Captain, what was it that you were going to do differently? Because we all have had to create this major pivot to always protect ourselves from another pandemic. No one knew it was coming. You know, no one was prepared for what we've all experienced. So how were you able to say, but this will work, even though despite that, this is going to be something that I'm going to be able to grow and give my money back to the investors? Well, it goes back to what I said to you earlier around, first of all, like picking a business in the same category. I like, I know where I want to focus. Like I saw the market. I knew I was in the same genre. I was going to stay in the same industry because there was a lot of things to fix there. But then it was also like changing how I viewed myself. And I never would have thought that I was like a low self-esteem person Mm -hmm. or a lack of confidence person or any of that. I wouldn't have described myself that way. And actually, I had had people growing up tell me that I was like the most prideful person they ever had come across. Um, And so, and I was just like, I realized that I didn't actually have that much confidence to do the thing that actually was in my head to do, right? So like, I knew that this thing was a problem way back before when I started WeatherCheck. I saw it as a problem when I was in those little roofing companies as an accountant. Mm -hmm. I knew the problem quite well. I was intimidated by the sheer scale of the problem. Mm. And so I knew that like, oh, hey, if you were gonna do this, you would need hundreds of millions of dollars. I was like, man, I can't. I I can't do that. I can't do that. Yeah. It's just me. It's just me. Like, who who, who am I gonna ask? Who am I gonna call? Who am I gonna call? 
You know, yeah. like yeah. here I am. You thought you had good friends giving you five, five, fifty thousand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I already asked everybody I know. Right, right. You know. And one of the guiding principles of my life has been everything that you need is always close by. I love that. I heard you say that earlier. It's so true. Even when I needed that $50,000, that guy was close by and he stroked that check for me. In this instance, I had just had like a chance encounter with an investor. It was on another deal that I was working on. Some of those other companies, side projects, their family businesses. And a lot of times this guy, I was like, I was playing coy with him, really, Mm -hmm. because I was like, I know he's high net worth, but smart guy. And eventually he said, I called him a few weeks later and I said, hey, I you know, really want to pick your brain about something. And he said, please tell me that you're calling me to figure out how to finance insurance claims. And I said, well, that's absolutely what I'm calling you about. Actually. Um, mm-hmm. That's weird. Mm-hmm. So... I said, well, I need help raising $25 million. Mm-hmm. And I was so intimidated to, to even say that. Yeah. But it turned out that, like, fast forward to May of, guess what was that, 2021? It wasn't $25 million. Turns out that we could only raise $100 million. And then turns out they say, but if you could just use three, could you take $300 million? Could you take that much? Could you, could you, you know? And we knew that we were sort of onto something when we had local Louisville investors offering us $25 million at a time. Wow. And we had not formed the company yet. Just on the thought alone. Just on, on the idea uh, on the by idea. itself. Yeah. And so, so we were just sort of like, oh, okay. Hmm. This is different. Yeah. Right? Like, it just, the air felt different. The How the transaction was going, everything about it was different. And frankly, I will say that in this instance, everything has been different. I would say that, like, but it started with this sort of idea of me getting courage around, hmm. like, what I was willing to ask for. Yeah. Like, and sort of saying, okay, if you give me this $25 million, I can do it. Yeah. Right? And then, can we give you $100 million? Okay, yeah, okay, I, I think I can do that. And like coming to terms every single With time. That. And it happens at this point every two weeks. That's crazy. You know, now we're sitting at around $380 million. And it's like, yeah. you're like, oh, okay, well, can I do that? Oh, yeah, 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 we can do that. We can do that. Yeah. And I think what that has done is it causes you to, in some ways, avoid failure mm-hmm. because you're never sort of taking on more. You're always looking around. And, and frankly, there's a whole team of people now yes. who are there to support and check you when you need to be checked mm-hmm. and, you know, mm-hmm. all those other sort of things. Yeah. So, I you know, fingers that. crossed for no failure this time. That's it. But you know what I love is that, and you guys hear me say this all the time, is that failures happen for us. They don't happen to us. And we always feel like failing is happening to us. Weather check isn't happening the way I thought it was. I only got $100,000 left in the bank. I had to lay off my employees or they quit me before I could quit them. This is all happening to me. Why is everything my fault? It's always me. I can't ever get this right. And you start doubting yourself. Like you said, someone else called called you prideful and you were actually looking in the mirror seeing somebody that you didn't recognize. You didn't know that you had confidence issues and things like that. But that failure had to happen because it was for your good. You would have never experienced the $300 million success that you're having today if it wouldn't have been for that failure. Absolutely love that. This is the part of the episode that I love the most because I would love for you to leave just a little gem on the table. 
if someone came to you and they wanted to start a business and they're looking for an investor, you talked about having to ask those investors for those big checks. I know how it is getting off the phone with an investor and they give you $25 million. That You hang up the phone, the investor thinks, I don't know what the investor thinks you're doing because you're actually on your knees, think, A, thanking God, crying, hugging somebody, you're banging on the table. But what would you give, what nugget would you leave our listeners today whenever they're looking to raise large sums of money? How did you find that confidence? What can they do? What is the first thing that they need to do in order to be ready? You know, like, I That's love this question. A, I, I, yes. I love this question, though, because it's one of my recent sort of epiphanies mm-hmm. that I take from our, you know, we as people of color. Yes. We have tons of entertainers and performers in our culture. And it was actually Michael Bush hmm. who told me we were somewhere here in Louisville, and he said, I'm trying to get like you. And I thought, no, wait a minute now. <laughs> you know, get like me. Right. You know? And he said, you're doing the business thing. Mm -hmm. And I thought, yeah, that's what I do, yeah. Mm -hmm. And what you started realizing is that in a lot of these times, the same skill that he's exhibited on the field is the same skill that I needed to exercise in the business world. Mm -hmm. And so I was then challenged by, ah, this is a performance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so for me, part of the reason why this company goes well is because I recognize that it's a performance. Every day is in the game, right? And there are folks who I can be highly transparent with and say, oh, today it ain't going so well. You know, lost that one today. But really being clairvoyant and very simply spoken about like, oh, today I'm performing, right? It's not an indictment, it doesn't change who you are on the inside, but you need to realize that you are performing. Yeah, and know your performance. Have it down. Right. And because like, I mean, simple things, how I would know that somebody knows that they're performing. Right. Mm -hmm. Is your light right when you get on that Zoom call? Yeah. Is your audio good? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like what's going on over there? (laughs) You got clothes in the background. What's happening? You see what I'm saying? Like those are the people who they've been thoughtful about what's happening. And so they perform well mm-hmm. because that's all the investor ever gets to see. Yeah. They don't go home with you. They don't go home. They don't go, they ain't in the office sitting with you. No. So you put your best foot forward and you'll see conversions happen. The other piece is that you need to run a tight process in anything you do. Yeah. Run a tight process, have it down. It's not going to be one investor and you're done. I talk to 50 to 100 investors typically yeah. um, in a fundraising process. And so you want to raise big money, perform well, talk to a lot of people, and it'll get done eventually. You live in the richest country on the face of the planet. One person says, no, there's always another. Yeah, I love that. Demetrius Gray, I appreciate you blessing our mic today. Thank you so much for leaving the gym and the mic hot. (laughs) I am appreciative of you, sir. Um, You give me hope. You give all of us hope to know that it can be done. Thank you. That's kind. Thank Thank you. you.